Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. This is our fourth week about talking about this subject. Hopefully you've discovered what your front line is, the place where you and your faith meets the world, where you connect with those around you. Maybe it's your workplace, maybe it's your home, maybe it's when you are out and about, when you're in shops, when you're connecting with people in different spheres of life. What is your front line? And the first week, um, Hannah spoke brilliantly on the subject of modelling godly character. Remember, they all start with M's, and we talk about the fruits of the Spirit, have to have those fruits of the Spirit in place of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, and then making good work. I love that quote that Sarah brought from Dorothy Sayers. You know, the best thing you can do if you're a carpenter is to make good tables. So, Phil, hopefully tomorrow you make a good table for that silversmith you mentioned earlier. Uh, only the best, absolutely, because as, as followers of Christ, we don't want to just talk a good talk, we want to do good work. And then the third M was ministering love and grace. And last week, Joe brought the topic of ministering love and grace. Don't you just hate it when you hear something on a Sunday and within hours you're then having to be challenged by the very thing you've heard? Anyone had that experience? Last Sunday, Lottie and a couple of our children were going to go away for a few days. It was half term. The house was a bit upside down with some building work going on. So we thought, we'll escape. We'll go away straight after church. That was the plan. And so we got everyone home. We loaded up the car with all the stuff. We got all the kids in the car. And just as everyone was in the car, my 82-year-old neighbor comes round and says, Sim, I wonder if you could help me. Our power's gone. And everything in me, I know you're going to struggle to believe this, but everything in me goes, seriously, I can't help you. We're going. I mean, the kids were in the car. The overloaded boot was shut. And I just was wanting, I wanted to go, can you not see? Oh. And I, I literally opened Lottie's passenger door in the car. and said, I'm just going to go minister grace and love. <laughs> With a face that said, I don't really want to do this, but I'm going to be obedient. And I had to go around to my neighbour's house, Dr. Allen. It wasn't Trevor and Lane before you think Trevor's <laughs> turned 82, who lived the other side of our house. But Dr. Allen on the other side, and bless him, he was up on a, a sort of rickety old ladder looking at his, you know, fuse box in his garage. And I sort of came and tried to pretend I was helping, end up ringing the, uh, you know, the electric service instead, um, and, got, and got them as sorted as I was able to do so. And spent 30 minutes ministering grace and love in that time, discovering things about their story, their family, their circumstance, what God is going to be doing in their lives next. And, you know, it was a really useful time. When I got back, the car had clouded up with sort of, you know, where they'd all been sort of sitting there talking with hot air. And I thought, this is what it is about. And it does disrupt. Ministering grace and love disrupts your life. It doesn't come. You can't pre-book it in your diary. Could we have the power cut at a time that suits me? Isn't how it works. So that was the first three weeks. The fourth week, this week, we are talking about the fourth M, moulding culture. Moulding culture. We're going to talk about moulding culture culture. Romans 12 says these words in the message. It uses uh, the word culture, so I thought I'd steal it from the message. Romans 12 says, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life. Your front line. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly 
respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That's good, isn't it? Don't be dragged down to the things of this world. Let's find what God has for us. How do we mould character? I wonder what your culture is. I wonder what your story, we had a bit of a story today from Phil and Rachel. What's your story? What's the culture uh, you hold? What is it that you do? What's the part that you play? What's the culture of the place you work in? What's the culture of your home life? What's the culture of the family that you are from? And probably you're already putting labels onto that language. What is it like to be in those places? Your culture is your belief, your values. It's the things that form our action. It shapes our decision making. Two families will have two very different sets of cultures. And when it comes to a, a big family purchase like the family car, one will study for months to get the most efficient, most economic, most environmentally friendly car they possibly can. The other one will get the cheapest gas guzzler they can find. Both are set on their values and their culture. That's their choice. Make. One family would go, it's all about my child, get A-star grades at every single level. That's the most important thing. The other family say, you know what? I really want my child to be have good friendships and relationships. And that's more important than having a high achieving outcome. Both valuable outcomes, both different cultures. You will all have these in your home. You will have your family rituals, your habits, your traditions. Lottie and I recently were meeting with Joe and Lorna who are getting married really soon. And uh, we talked about the family traditions that they both families hold. Because one of the things you, you will all know if you are married today, that when you get married to somebody, they have a different family culture. And often you don't realise this until you, you hit a kind of a, a ritual that your family normally do. So for instance, with Lottie and I, it was definitely Christmas. We hit Christmas and I was like, great, I know how Christmas works. We have no presents until after church on Christmas Day. Lottie's family, we have presents from Christmas Eve. I'm like, seriously? And I'm like, well, when it comes to Christmas stocking, my dad literally, we would literally have a sock, one of his socks. I know. With an orange, and it was like a couple of things in it, and it'd be like a bit disappointing. Lottie's family, it wasn't a stocking, it was a sack, and it was overflowing. And obviously, my culture was the right culture, and Lottie's culture won. Um, but that's where we've come up to. But every... <laughs> Every family has its own traditions, its routines, its habits, its culture. You will have your cultures. They are formed from an early age, and they will affect you now. The culture you were brought up in, the family you were brought up in, without getting to deep psychological world, that's affecting you now. When I was younger, my parents would always say to me, eat all the food on your plates. We, we didn't have a lot of money as, as, as a family, and so we would have, and a lot of us, I was one of six, Eat all the food on your plate. And, and I always eat the food on my plate. And some of you know, last year I was diagnosed with some stomach problems, and I probably shouldn't eat all the food on my plate. But I'm hitting this cultural norm that sits inside of me going, I'm, I've got this thing about not wasting. And yet I know that if I eat, I'm going to be ill. And those things are clashing, and your culture can clash. And I wanted to look today about our culture what the habits we've got in us and the culture that we are forming around us. Derek Warlock, the Archbishop, or previous Archbishop of Liverpool, said these words, 
culture is the way we do things around here. In a nutshell, that's a beautiful definition. Culture is the way we do things. Maybe you don't realise you've got a culture. Last week, we were with friends of ours from Lincoln. Their children told us we were posh and we had an accent. Our kids went, no, you're the ones with the accents. You can't see your culture, but everybody else can. You have a way of doing things around here. The church has a way of doing things around here. Your family has a way of doing things around here. You have a preference to how you do things. Jesus challenged the culture of his day. He made huge statements to the people of that time. You know, turning over the tables in the temple was a big statement about culture. I'm not having this. I'm not having the house of God being to a turn, of, a turn into a place where people are, ch- are changing money and uh, they're changing money for uh, different things and they say, I'm not having this. I'm not having this segregated temple. I want to change what we're doing. The way he valued women and said, no, let the children, he said, come to me and I want to hear from them. He healed people on the Sabbath. He touched the leper. He ate with the prostitute and the sinner. He spent time with those in the edge of society. Jesus was breaking the culture, the norm. He said, this is not on. I'm not going to carry on doing what you expect me to do. And if Jesus changed the culture of his day, how much more should we be changing the culture around us as well? Jesus wasn't sort of changing the culture for no purpose. He had his own culture to bring. He had his own upbringing, his own family culture. He was going, what is it that my father God is saying to me? He always did what he saw the father doing. And every time Jesus did something, his disciples were watching, learning, observing, and hopefully mimicking what he was doing. If I said to you this morning, I'm really ill, I have mumps. Actually, I don't have mumps. I have measles. What will you catch? It's not a trick question. If I say I have mumps, but I'm actually carrying measles, what will you catch? Thank you very much. Wonderful. We got there in the end. And this is the truth about culture. You can tell people what you think your culture is, but they'll catch what you carry. In fact, it's one of the most tragic things, isn't it? It doesn't matter what we say. People will catch the way that we are. We can say that we are kind, but they will know how we treat people. People know what you carry more than what you say. We know it doesn't always line up. People don't always listen to what they hear you say or even what they see you do. They will just know what lives inside of you. So my phrase I want you to pick up today is this, which took me a long time to write, so please applaud. That would be great. What you celebrate, tolerate and demonstrate will be the culture you cultivate. Thank you very much. Good night. We're finished here. You wouldn't believe how long it took me on wordhippo.com. Anyway, that's a freebie. I'll give that to you. But we got there. But this is, this is actually a true statement. It is important for us to learn this. If you want to change your culture, these things, three things are really important. The way you create culture is you celebrate the things that you want and demonstrate the things you would like to see and don't tolerate the things that are not of your culture. We can allow culture to creep in by tolerating things that are unacceptable. And we've all done this at some point. For instance, in my family, the kids laugh at me, but when maybe when they were younger, 
and one of the children would do something well. They'd say thank you to a house we'd been to. They'd say thank you to the person who looked after us. And we would say, well done. Well done for thanking those people. And my older children would go, Dad, seriously, does anyone actually fall for that? I'm like, you all did. Because we're celebrating what we want to cultivate. We're saying, yes, we like what you do. We loved what you just did. And we want to celebrate that and make a thing of that. But the truth is as well, we're not always, or I'm not very good at consistently demonstrating. I will say to my children, um, no phones at the table. It's one of our rules. We have no phones at the table. But I will walk to the table with my phone in my hand while I'm saying to them, no phones at the table. And my children will get, Dad, look what's in your hand. Oh. And I'm not always demonstrating it. Another thing as well we would do, probably to do with mobile phones is, again, we, we endeavour to, uh, to charge our mobile phones outside of the bedrooms. We said, no, mobile phones out of bedrooms. We're going to put them in a multi-charger on the landing out of the way. And that's great until the holiday season turns up and the, the bedtimes will get a bit wrecked and people start taking their phones into their bedroom and I let it slide. I'm, I know I'm the only parent that's ever done this, but I've let the rules slide. And I'm like, oh... How do we tolerate that? We've created a culture by what we have tolerated. So the things you celebrate, things you tolerate, the things you demonstrate will affect your life and your culture you're cultivating around you. You know it works in your workplace right now. You're already thinking of the things that you do. Maybe you have an employee of the month. You're celebrating a culture. This is the sort of thing that we are looking for. We are celebrating what we are seeing or maybe, I remember once when I was in the fire service, I don't know, can't be why he did this. I, I went on this fire service course. It was one of the last courses I went on. And at the beginning of the course, the two facilitators of the course said this. They said, we've been told to ask this question. If you'd rather we didn't swear on this course, it was a week-long course, then just let us know and we won't swear. I'm in a room with 30 blokes, all in the fire, fire brigade. And I went, you know what? If that's an option, I'll take it. And I put my hand up. And they looked properly surprised. Like that was just the, the official line. Oh, oh, you've. And it was a beautiful week where a few times they went and made a little error. Oh, I'm really sorry. But here's the thing I could have gone along with it, I could have just tolerated it, but I didn't want to live in that culture. And so I made a decision to go, actually, I, and I felt silly, but you know what? It changed the atmosphere of the week and it created some great conversations. So we must make sure that we, what we celebrate, we tolerate and also demonstrate. If you want to have a, a healthy workplace, if you want your members of your staff team to turn up to things on time, you turn up on time. You demonstrate what you want to replicate and cultivate. Um, loads of stuff I could give you here around culture and business. One of my favourite um, phrases from a guy called Horse Schultz who heads up the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, a fantastic um, hotel group that's won loads of awards for their customer service. And they train their staff with this phrase. Their staff are told this, we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. They don't tell them that when they start their job. They don't tell them that at their annual retreat. They tell them that phrase before every single shift. And they say, if everyone from the hotel manager to the bellboy, they go, you're a lady and a gentleman. You are serving, ladies and gentlemen. There is not a hierarchy. You are both valuable people. I love that concept of customer service they pulled together. There's a load of other things I could send your way. Um, Peter Drucker, the famous one here, culture, eat strategy for breakfast. You may think you've got a great strategy as a business. The best businesses have great 
cultures, and it takes time to develop that. Tony Morgan, who does a lot of consultancy work for churches, says this, culture is a pattern of behavior that is modeled by our leaders and tolerated by our systems. You might have a great culture idea for your workplace, but the systems often squash out the culture. You might have great plans, but the limitations by the systems you're part of. And here's a really important part that I need to share with you and you need to hear very clearly. When it comes to culture, the leader changes the culture. If you are a leader of your shift group, of your workplace, if you're self-employed, you're definitely the leader. If you're a family leader, a parent, you are responsible for the culture. You can change the culture around you, but you can change the culture for your community or your group if you have a leadership responsibility. Think about that. The leader sets the tone of the culture. Don't you remember a couple of years ago, uh, the guy who founded Uber, all right, he, he, Uber ended up with a really bad reputation of bullying and, and really kind of nasty activity going on amongst the Uber drivers. When it turned out that their founder and CEO was almost out of control himself. He was in trouble with bullying. He was in trouble for anger issues and had to step down off the board. And I, I saw that story and I thought there's a mirroring between the person who is leading the organisation and the culture of the organisation. If you want things to change around you, it does start with you. Your culture is a reflection of who you are. You look at the recent stuff in party politics where you've had the whole thing around bullying behaviour and anti-Semitic attitudes. Uh, it's not been a healthy culture in some of our senior government parties. There is no magic formula for a great company culture, said Richard Branson. The key is to treat your staff how you'd like to be treated. Magic from Richard Branson, stolen from Jesus, who got there first, 2,000 years earlier. Sorry, Richard, about that. He said, love your neighbour as you love yourself. Treat your staff well, absolutely. But Jesus said it first, love your neighbour as you love yourself. Love your God, the God, Lord your God, with all your heart and love your neighbour as yourself. That's what he said in Matthew 22, to love those. That's the culture of the kingdom. If you want to know what, what Christian culture looks like, that message wraps it all up. Love God and love others. Love the people around you. Love the people who are in your vicinity. If you want to mould a healthy culture, then start by loving those nearest to you. Throughout history, Christians and followers of God have always been in challenging cultures. If you are thinking right now, I'm in a difficult workplace, I find myself in a different situation, difficult situation. If you are struggling with stuff at home, in the family, and you think, oh, I would love to have a healthy, uh, God-led uh, God culture in my home right now, you're not alone. Think about this. Abraham was right there amongst the Canaanite tribes. Joseph was in Egypt and in prison. Daniel was a, was a servant, slave in Babylon. Esther was taken away to Persia. Jesus was in Roman-controlled Israel. Paul was taken away to Athens. All those people taken out of their comfort zones and put into a foreign culture. Your circumstances are not unusual, but you can change what you are experiencing. This is not your permanent home, but we have a responsibility while we are here. You know, I think the whole sort of evangelical extreme viewpoint that we're just in some sort of heaven's waiting room. 
If you are a follower of Jesus today, you know, I've got the ticket and I'm just biding my time. The story of this series, Fruitfulness on the Frontline, is saying, actually, right now, we need to be reflecting the heart of God wherever you are. And we start with this idea of moulding culture. We are aliens in a foreign land almost. We must never get too comfortable. This is not permanent. I know someone's in our church office. This time of year gets a bit cold in our church office. And we've got these offices that have been offered to us by a really friendly member of the church community in town. And he said, help yourself have these offices for free. The food bank's there, our cap debt centre there, the offices are there. And every now and then a member of the team will say, I don't like this place. It's a bit cold. It's a bit drafty. It's not ideal. And I go, good. This is not our permanent home. I don't want you to be too comfortable, because otherwise, if you're too comfortable, you might stay put. We've got a bigger plan. God's got a bigger plan for us to have a home that's going to be much more suited to the work that God's calling us to do. Right now, we're here. We're in temporary accommodation. And the same way, your role, the part you play today, you're in a temporary accommodation, a temporary part to play in this earth. God's got more for you in the future. But right now, what difference are you making? What are you shaping around you? What are you celebrating? What are you demonstrating? And what are you not tolerating? Jesus said these uh, words to his disciples because Jesus set an example to all of his followers. He spent time with them. He spent time demonstrating to them. Here's how you do it. He broke the bread, fed the 5,000. In fact, he started off that whole season by saying, well, you feed them. Go on, you have a go. I've shown you how to do some stuff. Now it's your turn. And then he prayed for the sick and they were healed. He said to the the disciples, right, you go and heal the sick. And he sent them off in pairs. And he said, you go heal the sick in Luke chapter 10 and then come and tell me how you got on. And when they came back and they told their story, the 72 disciples returned, Luke 10 verse uh, 17. And when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. And then Jesus said these words. Yes, he said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I've given you authority over all the power and the enemy. You can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. At that time, Jesus was filled with joy of the Holy Spirit. He said, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, please you to do it this way. And he was basically saying, God, isn't it great that these disciples, these childlike disciples, are seeing you at work? He was celebrating. He was joyful. He was excited for them. He was trying to mould that culture. He was celebrating what they'd achieved, but there were some times where Jesus did not tolerate their behaviour. And he said to them, get behind me. Don't you say those sort of things. When they were in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus' fun night and they were praying and the disciples kept falling asleep, he kept going up to them and saying, what are you doing? Can you not even pray for one hour? Come on, I want you to pray. He didn't want to tolerate some of their behaviour. And Jesus himself regularly demonstrated to his disciples how to pray. In Mark 14, uh, sorry, Matthew 14, Matthew 26, Mark 1, Mark 6, Mark 14, Luke 5, Luke 9, Luke 11, John 17. What did Jesus do? He took himself away to go and pray. And every time he did that, his disciples would go, ah, you're demonstrating to us the culture of prayer you want from us. 
Our culture as followers of God should be simple and similar. We should just love God and love others. It's simple, but it's not easy. And that's what we're called to do. We are called to love those around us. Whether someone we meet eats five a day or smokes 20 a day, we're called to love. Whether they turn up to church every Sunday or have to work a shift pattern so they can't always be here, we love. Whether they have children running all around with shoes on wrong feet or children walking in single file behind them with matching outfits, they do exist. We love them. Where they come from the wrong part of town, don't have a GCSE, have too many degrees, run regularly, or their nose is running, never have a holiday, are always on holiday, we love. That's what we do. We're, we love. And we're not called to love the people that we like. Wouldn't it be easy if we loved the ones that we liked already? God calls us to be loving to those around us. We have been created to create this culture. Let me tell you uh, quickly some examples of some stories I read about about a lady called Rachel, who was a head teacher, a new head teacher in a school in a really tough housing estate. And it was a tough school. And the worst time was lunchtime. It was chaos. It was noisy. And no one really wanted to sit and eat. So what she did to change the culture, she bought tablecloths. And she bought crockery and cutlery. And she taught the children of this primary school the benefits and the value of sitting down of enjoying eating with one another and change the atmosphere and the volume of the school at lunchtime. Or Diane, who baked cakes and served coffee every week for her team at work. She would invite them into her office, say, come and join me, I've baked a cake. And then someone said, you know what, I could bake a cake next week. And then the week after, someone said, I could bake a cake next week. And it became this habit every Wednesday afternoon because Diane started to change the culture by inviting people for coffee and cake to her office. Well, I love this story of Marilyn, an elderly lady who decided to befriend her local supermarket workers. She wasn't the chaplain, she just made it her mission. And each week she would go in to shop and she would go up to the staff and ask them, how are you doing? Now she is greeted with hugs and they tell her everything that's going on in their lives and she has changed the atmosphere of her local supermarket by the way that she went shopping. Or Andy and Kate, who moved onto a new estate. And the very first week they were there, they invited their six neighbours of their close to come and join them for drinks on Friday evening. All of the houses responded. And now it's a regular occurrence that they get together and they have a drink together in community. Or look out for each other. I'm going on holiday. Could you help out? Look out for the house and that sort of thing. Because they've changed the culture. What were they doing? Loving people. Moulding culture looks like loving people. It changes the thing around you that's going on, what you celebrate, what you tolerate, what you demonstrate is the culture that you cultivate. If our actions and our behaviour clash, then we don't mould Christ and mould his culture. We say one thing, we do something different, that can be a clash. When I say something to my children, but I act in the opposite way, they're like, I don't understand. How many times have you heard a parent shout at their children, don't shout? It's funny, isn't it? We do it. We shout up the stairs, don't shout. Oh, wow. And how is that meant to be understood if we're saying one thing and doing something else? If you're part of a business that treats its staff poorly, are you expressing the culture of God? Does your attitude to other road users <laughs> reflect the culture of 
God? It's just a question. Some of you looking very uncomfortable. God is love. The way we treat people is really important. Even if you can pull out your Bible and you can point out a verse that makes you right, doesn't mean you're being loving. You may be right, but it doesn't mean you are being loving. Think about how we treat people. And when I say kindness, kindness doesn't mean letting people do whatever they want to do. You know, as a parent, I know that if I let my children do anything, they might love it initially, but it's not wise. And if we tolerate, we create that culture. We go, oh, anything's okay. Stay up as long as you want to. Do whatever you want to. That's a bad idea. I don't mean let people do whatever they want. There's a time to challenge people's behavior, but there's a time to do it in love. Choose your moments and to ask those questions. So what is our culture here at church? Um, what is our, we've often used the phrase, contagious DNA. We've got these four things behind me here, these values, encounter, gather, grow, influence. I want it to be the culture of our church. I want it to be a church that has that, not just in our meetings on a Sunday, but in our homes in the community. That's really important to me. I'm also keen that we uh, develop a sense of generosity and kindness and that we are people of prayer. You know, if we want to be people of prayer, it starts with, A, the leader has to do it. You want to create a culture? It starts with the person who's setting the tone. We've got to demonstrate it. We've got to do it. We've got, to, we've got these prayer weeks lined up. We've got to actually create space for prayer. If we want to see a prayer space, we've got to celebrate the stories when God answers prayer, when we see breakthrough in prayer. And we've also got to go when we go, actually, no, we mustn't tolerate when prayer slips off our activity. I want prayer to be the first thing we do, not the last thing we attach onto the end of our conversations. I was saying to the team earlier, when we were starting our meeting, we prayed before the service this morning, and I was just referring to them at a time where I was here at church, and, and someone in the church had just heard some pretty uh, uh, worrying news about a family member. They had to rush off. And before they rushed off, uh, Dick Audie is part of the leadership team here. He said, before you go, can we just pray? And I thought, you know what, that's brilliant. We've got to pray before, not pray after. I think sometimes we're very guilty, I'm very guilty sometimes, of asking God just to rubber stamp what I've already decided to do. How about we pray first to make it a culture, to celebrate it, to not tolerate, and to demonstrate it. Because when you have a really healthy culture, it helps you make quick decisions. When you know what your culture is, it's very simple to decide what to do. One of the things we say in the church, and I'm so pleased we've got some trustees who really support this, we want to be a generous church. We're generous-minded. If I'm away for a few days and a question, how do we spend our money, comes into the office, I expect the team to make a generous decision. If I come back and they say, oh, by the way, we've done this, we've made a decision, we've given this away, I'm like, fantastic. Because that's the culture I want there to be. But it starts with us celebrating it, demonstrating it, and make sure we don't tolerate it. If, if, you know, one of the biggest things that really frustrates me is if we waste church finances. I want to invest our money well, but I want us to be generous, to be kind with that, to reflect God with the finances we've been given. It's important because when we have a good culture, it makes a quick decision. If today you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I don't know what my culture is. I'm not sure what the values I hold or the beliefs I have. Ask yourself this question. What is it that really annoys you? What is it that really gets up your nose? Because that is your culture. 
The thing that frustrates you, your culture is exactly the opposite of that. One of the things that I really struggle with most within church life is when I hear stories of somebody who's been made to feel unwelcome. We talk about people being welcome in this church. It's really important to me because it reflects the culture and the heart of God. And if I hear a story about someone who came along and got overlooked, didn't, didn't get a coffee or, or didn't get cared for, wasn't sure where to go and no one's, I'm like, oh, not because I want us to be slick, but because I want us to be loving and kind and thinking of others. And it's really important for me that we welcome people. So when I hear the opposite of that, it offends. Does that make sense? Maybe there are things for you you're thinking, yeah, what are the things that really kind of gets you and upsets you? Whatever that might be, the opposite for you is probably the fact that that's your culture. And whether that's good or not good, think about what you're celebrating, what you're tolerating, and what you are demonstrating. One of the key ways we mould culture, and I'll just bring this to an end now, is by telling stories. Think about the people of God through centuries. What do they do? They told stories. They told the stories of creation. They said, this is how the world began. God, in the beginning was God. In the beginning was God and there was darkness and then he created light. And they told their stories. You know, the world was full of sin. So God said to a man called Noah, Noah, I want to take you and your family. I want to rescue you. And then they tell their stories about the time when they were, they were slaves in a place called Egypt. And God said to Moses, Moses, I want you to go and I want you to rescue my people. And then Moses took them and he said, I've got a land for you. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I've got something for you. And throughout generations, the story gets told. Why? Because we're creating a culture. A culture that God loves his people. A culture that said God rescues those who are lost. A, a culture and a story that tells us about who God is because we can look back and we can hear the stories that have been told. If you want to create a healthy culture in your family, start telling the stories of when you were a child. Maybe the ones you want them to hear. Start telling stories of your origins. It's why we like, you know, the, all the superhero origins films. We love to know where did that come from. Tell your stories of where you began. Create your culture. Celebrate by telling your stories. And let's make sure we don't tolerate the wrong behaviours. Let's get the worship team up here. Shuri, to bring these things to a close. So my challenge to you today is what are you passionate about? What is your culture? What is the culture you are moulding? What are the things that are frustrating you right now that you're not getting a hold of? What are the things you are feeling like, oh, if only I could bring some change into that situation? What is your culture as a follower of Christ? How do you treat your neighbours? How do you treat those you meet every day? How do you celebrate? What stories do you tell of the week you've just had? When someone says to you, what have you been doing this week? That's a chance to tell a story, to celebrate the culture you're trying to create. What are you tolerating? How many times we tolerate poor behaviour at work, we come home, we moan about it to our spouse. That's not going to change the culture in your workplace. It may change the culture of your family home. If you want to change the culture, what are you not tolerating? What is actually enough, no more? We're stopping that from happening. What are you modelling to those around you? What are you demonstrating? 
And so what I'd like to do now, if I invite you to stand if that's okay. Maybe as I've been speaking, there's something in your mind, going, oh yeah, that's something I wish I could see that more efficiently, effectively. I, want, I wish I could see our culture at work change. I, I wish our family culture could shift. I wish we could pray more as a family. I, I, I wish that in our workplace, we were kinder to each other. I wish I was more generous with my time than always feeling like I'm trying to catch up on my own diary. Whatever that is for you, I just want to take you a moment just to say, God, would you give me opportunities to mould my culture? Would you give me opportunities this week to tell the story and celebrate? To stand up against an injustice. I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. An opportunity to set the example and demonstrate to those people around us, here's how I'd like it to be. Just take a moment and then I'm going to pray for us. thank you that while you walked here on earth you set a standard you create a culture you, you're an example to your disciples and we are your disciples today and Lord we want to reflect you, reflect your father as you always did help us to be consistent in the way we mould culture help us those here who are followers of you to live out our life your way to transform our community, to be salt and light, to change the flavour, to bring light to dark places. Lord, I pray you'd help me, help my friends here today, that we would transform all that's going around us, that we would love you, God, and love the people around us, that we would see the area we work in, our front line, become a fruitful place as the culture changes, we pray. Lord, we pray you'd empower us, give us what we need, give us the strength to say, actually, this is not good, this is not acceptable. Give us the ability to set great examples. Lord, give us courage and give us the ability to use our words well, we pray. information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.